Welcome. Great to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Wow. It is great to have you guys here today. Thanks for joining us for Easter. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services. I also want to say hello to our overcrowd, overflow crowd areas as well. What a great, thank you for showing up, man. You guys came out in droves. Thank you so much. We're so honored that you're here. Rumor has it there is a celebrity in the house. His name is Jesus, and we're here to worship him today. So I'm so glad you guys are here. Wow, it's great to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us today. Easter is such a great time. Everyone's all dressed up, all little boys in matching outfits like their dads, and all little girls in their nice little dresses. And so we're glad you guys are here. Thanks again so much for being here. Heard about a lady, she was so excited about Easter because her husband was gonna take her to Rome to celebrate Easter at the Vatican. I mean, how cool was that, right? So she goes to get her hair done a week before. She plops down the seat, and the hairdresser was kind of sour, you know? She was like, so what are you getting your hair done for? She says, oh, you're not gonna believe this. My husband's taking me to Rome for Easter is going to be amazing. She goes, oh, you're going to hate it. She's like, well, what? what? What do you mean? She goes, oh, yeah, well, how are you getting there? She goes, oh, we're flying Delta. Oh, their planes are so old. They are going to cram you in that plane. It's going to be miserable. Where are you staying? She goes, oh, we're staying at the International Marriott. Oh, that junkie hotel, it's so old. It hasn't been running. You're done it forever. It's horrible. What are you going to do when you're there? She goes, we're going to go see the Pope. She goes, oh, yeah, you and a million other people. You're never going to see him. He's going to be a dot way off in the distance. That's all you're going to see. She was like, okay, well, gosh, she was just so discouraged, you know? So she's like, okay, oh, you do my hair? So she does her hair. And a couple weeks after Easter is done, she comes back to get her hair done. She plops down the seat, and she gets the same sour lady again, right? She goes, well, how was your trip? She goes, oh, it was amazing. She goes, oh, really? Well, how was your flight? She goes, you're not going to believe it. Delta has a whole new fleet of airplanes. Our flight was awesome, brand new plane. They bumped us to first class. I drank wine all the way to Rome. It was amazing. She's like, well, I'm sure your hotel was horrible. She goes, oh, no, no, we get there. The International Marriott downtown, they redid the whole thing with a $10 million renovation. It was gorgeous. Our, our room overlooked Rome. It was beautiful. Well, I'm sure you didn't get to see a Pope. Oh, you're not going to believe this. So we go to the Vatican, right? We're there. We're standing in the back. There's thousands of people everywhere. We can hardly see the Pope. But then someone taps us on the shoulder, a security guard, and says, hey, the Pope likes to meet a handful of people every Easter personally. Would you like to meet the Pope? She's like, you're kidding me. She goes, no, I'm not. We go into the back room. The Pope comes out. I kneel in front of him, and he says a few words to me. The hairdresser says, well, what did he say? He said, who does your hair? <laughs> so we hope you have a good Easter today, a good experience. So we're glad you've joined us today. We're so excited to have communion. Isn't communion fun? We get to do communion today as a church. Isn't that great? We love doing communion. It's a really cool thing. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that calls it communion. I grew up in a tradition that calls it the Lord's Supper. It's the same thing, basically. And communion is really cool because it's a time to celebrate what Christ has done for us. And really, communion is when you take a look at what Christ did on the cross for us, how he died and then rose again, right? That's what communion is about. Well, guess what? That's what Easter is about, too. So I thought we should put this together, and then let's just share communion throughout. So I actually have a message for you on what it is to commune with Jesus. The word commune, actually, it comes from the word commune, right? We know commune is just a, the noun tense of the word. It just means you live together with other people. You share resources together. You share food. You share a common space. You share everything. That's what a commune means. Well, in the verb tense, it means commune. And commune means that you share your heart with someone, and they share their heart with you. You share your feelings. You share your experience. There, it's a spiritual thing, too, that you share with one another. And so Jesus wants to commune have communion, communicate with you. And here's the cool thing about this. The first thing it tells me is that Jesus wants you to know no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how bad you feel like you've messed stuff up, Jesus is telling you, I have a seat at my table for you. 
Isn't that good to know that? Jesus loves you just like you are. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up. You don't have to be all straightened out. He loves you just like you are. Isn't that great? He does. He has a seat at the table for you. So what I want to do during this time is just break down communion for you, what it actually means and, and, and how we can live this out and commune with Jesus in our daily lives. And of course, we'll culminate the entire message at the end with a time of communion as well. So pull out your notes if you want to get, I want to give you some things to write down. Plus, you need to write because I speak about seven, 350 words a minute with Gus up to 750. So you need to write. So take some notes. So please do that. In fact, let's check out our first verse. Well, before we say that, almost got ahead of myself. Let's say our mission statement together as a church. What do we do as a church? What do we believe in and why are we here? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. So we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for coming out. Thanks for being with us today. You guys look so great. Turn to the person right next to you and say, you look fabulous. Let them know right now. <laughs> fabulous. That's right. Just let them know. You guys look great. All right. All the rough, rough guys are like, fabulous. I don't use this word. Okay. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 is our first verse. It says this, I want to know Christ. How many of you guys would agree with that? You just, you want to know Christ, right? You're here today. You want to draw close to him. I want to know Christ. And, and then it gives a breakdown of how you can do that. It says you can know Christ what? Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. There are three different distinct ways here that we get to know Christ. And these are also the three different distinct portions of communion and also of the Easter Story. Now, the only thing I like about saying the word Easter story is it implies somehow it's just a story someone made up, but it's actually the history, the his story, the accurate story of what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. And so as we look at this, understand this is recorded history. This is archaeological evidenced, backed up story that we know to be a fact. So keep that in mind as we go through this. So Philippians 3.10 tells us that we can know him and now let's break that down. Would you break this down with me? Look at Isaiah 53, 5. It says this. And this, by the way, was written 700 years before Jesus was ever even born. Therefore, it's prophetic. It's speaking of who is to come. It says, but he, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Let me tell you something about that in Easter. I love Easter time. I love how people are all dressed up and it's such a nice time for family and you get your pictures, you know, taking a bunch of, bunch of big giant eggs outside, right? Bunch of flowers, you know, it's just, it's a nice, pretty, beautiful time to celebrate with your family and to celebrate Christ. But that's what Easter... I had to turn off my mic or you would have thought Jesus just came back. So <laughs> I apologize for that. I have sneak attacks when I have a sneeze, so sorry about that. But Easter looks like that to us. But the first Easter looked nothing like that. In fact, ladies, I don't mean to offend you or gross you out, but if I could tell you the appropriate dress to really match Easter today of the very first Easter, I would say just wear a white dress and we'll splatter blood all over it. And that would match the first Easter. That seems graphic to you, but that pales in comparison to what Jesus actually went through. In fact, let me just break that down if I can. First of all, Jesus was lied upon. They lied about him. They had a mock trial, so they hurt his reputation. And they, they, then, then they hid him. Even in the trial, they couldn't resist hitting him. And then they took him from there, and they took him. That's, that's just the religious trial. I mean, he got hit in the religious trial, let alone going to the Romans yet. Then he goes to the Romans. Let me tell you something about the Romans in case you don't know this. The Romans were very evil people. And I hate to break it to you, but ISIS has nothing on Rome. Rome knew how to torture far better than ISIS could ever even dream up on how to torture you. They were very good at it. 
They had people skilled and specialized in how to kill you slowly. That's what they did. And so they took Jesus after this mock trial and after people lied about him and they presented all kinds of false evidence, they said, beat him. Then once we beat him, we're gonna give him the cross and he's gonna die. And so they took him and they tied him to a stump. They took off his clothes and I hate to break it to you, but the movie portrays like he still had something on, but that would not be the way they would do it. Your Lord and Savior would have been humiliated and been naked in front of everyone. Then they took what's called the cat of nine tails. If you'd like to Google image this, you can. It's quite the sight. The cat of nine tails is where they have a short whip attached to nine other little whips. And on the end of each of those whips that fan out, there would be a sharp tooth of a dead animal. They would attach to it. And these, these tortures were so good, the Romans, that they knew how to whip it and they would whip it to your bare skin and they would get it just right to where essentially those, those cat and nine tails would go out, and as soon as those teeth hit your back, they would pull it tight, and therefore pull a chunk out of your back every whip. 39 times they did this to Jesus. In doing that, the reason why 39 was important was because they had already done the research, which by the way was by doing it to actual people, and they knew that 39 times is how far you could go to take a man to death without killing him and they'd back it off. This was before the cross, what happened to him. Then after this, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Now we, in our minds, picture a thorn like a rosebush thorn. Oh no, that's far too small. They had thorns much larger, be closer to a three to four or five inch nail size thorn. And they drove this on his head. Have you ever had a cut on your forehead? Think about how much that bled. They drove this on his head they took all his clothes from him. The, don't worry, the blood flowing from his head would cover his parts as he was drenched in his own blood. Then they took him, and after all of that, they gambled his clothes away. Then they took him and they nailed him to a cross where he slowly died, not even from his wounds, but from asphyxiation, dying because he couldn't drag himself up one more time before he finally would give up and give his life. That's the first Easter. The funny thing is, I don't see anybody wanting to put that on a postcard. But that's what it looked like. And I'm not trying to be graphic or gross or bring you down. I just want you to understand that your Lord was a suffering Savior. He suffered before he died. And this is important because to know Christ is to know, by the way, number one, that we share in his sufferings. This may surprise you, but we're supposed to share in that. Some of you may have some things going on in your life that are not pleasant, that are really difficult, some, some pain you can't solve. You can't figure out how to take care of this problem. It won't go away. This addiction, this struggle, this marriage issue, this problem with your child, this problem with your boss, this debt issue, this legal battle, it just won't go away. I just, I prayed for it to go away. I can't get it to, to be solved. I just, pastor, I'm suffering here. Congratulations, communion started early with you. I thought you said you like communion. Maybe you're already in it. But I just want to know Christ. I know, that, that's how you get to know him. Because nothing draws you closer to Jesus like pain. Let's just be honest. Can we be honest in the house of God today and admit that when we're going through it, we call out to God more than ever? 
Could it be that we're praying, God, please fix this? And God says, yeah, before I remove that from you, I'm gonna use what you're asking me to remove to fix you. Because it changes us, doesn't it? Pain, difficulties, struggles, suffering. Maybe you're going through something and you feel like no one understands you and Jesus would smile and say, <laughs> welcome to the life of Christ. The pastor, you would understand. I've had all my worldly goods taken from me. You mean like Jesus had? Where they took all his clothes and gambled them away? No, people lied about me. It's not even true what they're saying. You mean like Jesus and the mock trial? You don't understand my family's being ripped apart. You mean like Jesus? Who had to, on the cross, look over at his mother and look at one of his disciples and say, please take care of my mother since I can't any longer? Congratulations. You were already in communion before you even got here. Maybe you're dealing with some suffering, something you're struggling with. God will use that greatly in your life. I don't know what it is about this, and I wish this wasn't true, but for some reason, the more God crushes me is the more when God uses me. Are you that way too? In fact, the crushing is a big deal because Jesus went to a place before he even went to the cross called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally means the Garden of Crushing. It's where they would crush olives to produce great olive oil. That's how you get oil out of an olive. You crush it. Oil in the Bible represents anointing, so when God wants to use you greatly, he first crushes you deeply. So oftentimes we say, oh God, please use me greatly. And God says, you know what you're asking? Because when God does his greatest work through us is when we're hurting. As C.S. Lewis put it, he said, pain is God's megaphone. Maybe God right now is saying, do I have your attention yet? How much crushing do we need to get your attention? Well, I thought this was going to be some positive motivational message. I mean, this is like all about suffering and death. And what do you think Easter was? Did you think it was frilly and sweet and soft? You're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. It was vicious. It was disgusting. It was horrendous. And yet it was beautiful. Therefore, it was brutal. It was brutal and beautiful at the same exact time. The first thing we need to know is that we can share in the suffering. Now, what does suffering lead to? What well, leads to death? Jesus, of course, died for us after he suffered miserably. He gave his life for us. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we share in his death. Thank God. We don't share in his death. He took all the death for us. So, so he took the death, so all we have to take is the cup. Isn't that nice? I think we got the better deal. He took death. All we get is the cup. That represents death. There was a little boy in the back of a car one day, and, and uh, they were driving somewhere, and, and when they got in, the mom and dad got in the front, and he got in the back, and they didn't notice a bee got in the car with them, and they closed the doors. The problem was not, not only is it scary to have a bee in the car with you, but this little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings. The mom sees the bee, frantically starts to go through her purse as fast as she can to find the shot that she normally carried with her just in case her son did get stung by a bee. He's freaking out because the last time he almost died from it. His dad can't pull over the car. They're in the middle of traffic. And as he's driving, the dad starts waving his hand around everywhere, trying to get the bee mad at him to come sting him instead of his son. And he's swinging, swatting at the bee, trying to get the bee angry to intentionally get the bee to come sting him. Finally, the boy's screaming. The mom's freaking out. The dad's driving along. He says, son, look at my hand. Stop. Stop screaming. Look at my hand son, look closely. And when he looked closely, he saw the stinger in his dad's hand. Son, it's going to be okay. The bee can only scare you now. I took the sting. You don't have to take it. 
Or as the Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus took the sting of death so that you and I don't have to. That is what Easter is all about. He took death. He took the cross so you and I don't have to suffer for our own sin. Do you know the gift that that is to you and I? That he took it on our behalf. It's incredible what he did for us. But we do become like him in his death. It doesn't say to, be, to share the death with him because he took that for us, but we become like him. Here's how you can become like him in his death. Romans 6, 11 says this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You know what that means? It means that whatever you're struggling with, whatever sin you're struggling with, you gotta quit fighting it. He's saying, Pastor, are you saying give in to it? No, 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 no. But you gotta quit fighting it. You know, the reason why I will never be beat up in the ring by a professional boxer is because I will never get in the ring with a professional boxer. <laughs> I'm not that foolish, right? I'm not gonna let that happen to me. I'm not gonna be destroyed like I know they would, right? I won't even try, don't, why are you fighting a fight you already know you've lost to 100 times? Man, every time I go to the club, I do something I shouldn't do. Man, every, then die to the club. The Bible says to die to your sin. It's hard to fight a dead man. Die at the club, that's just the place you don't go anymore. Every time I go out with this person, I know what I end up doing, I know what's wrong. Why are you going out with him then? You gotta look at him like God the Godfather and say, you're dead to me. <laughs> There's some people you can't hang out with. This is the places you can't go. Because if you do, guess what? We all know what happens, right? Jesus didn't say, fight temptation strong. He said, lead us not into temptation. Just get away from it. It's a lot easier to overcome a temptation that you never have. So you just gotta get away from it altogether, right? So maybe you're struggling with something and it's real and you can't overcome it. You gotta quit fighting, you just gotta get away from it completely. You gotta cut it off, man, I keep struggling with smoking dope. Then you know what? You need to change phones. You need to get, get the dealer's number out of your phone. Say, don't call me anymore, don't come over here. Well, every time I do, they still call. Promise them that you'll call the cops the moment they call you. They won't call anymore. Hand me your phone, I'll say it to them. I've done it many times, give me the phone. You call this phone again. I'm Pastor Bill. I will have the cops come and visit you. You're not scared of them? No, I'm not. Because God's got my back and he's got your back. And you shouldn't be scared either. You should do what's right and be dead to it. Because if you don't, it'll eat your lunch. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. What is it that you're fighting with that God's saying it's time to die to that? You got to let go. You gotta be dead to that relationship. You gotta be dead to that place you used to go, dead to that thing you used to do. You gotta be dead to it. You know, I've tried everything I can, Pastor. I just can't overcome this. You mean you come to the end of yourself? Isn't it funny how 12 step, step gets, it better, gets it faster than we as Christians do? When they say, you know, I am powerless to this and I need a higher power to help me. Why can they say that in 12 step and we can't get that in church? That we have to come to the end of ourselves, die to ourselves and admit, I can't do this. Jesus had the garden, the crushing. First time he went and prayed to God, he said, oh God, please take this cup from me. I don't want to have to do this. And the Lord told him, the father said to the son, son, this is my plan for you. This is my will. You need to give your life. He goes back a second time and says, okay, Lord, I'll surrender to your will. Third time he goes and he's just still surrendering to him each time. He finally says, okay, Lord, whatever you want. Maybe there's a crushing going on in you right now and you keep asking God for your will. And he keeps saying, no, 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 it's my will. It's what I want for your life. And maybe you gotta come to the point of surrender where you say, okay, Lord, whatever you want. I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I surrender this to you now. You gotta get to the point where you die to yourself. 
You lay down your own desires and you say, God, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want. Colossians 3.14 says this, he has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Number two is to become like him in his death. Would you write that down? To become like him in his death. I have a very good friend who became like him in his death. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. If, I hope I'm not today for you, but I may be if you haven't checked out our social media lately. He's a very dear friend of mine, great guy. Goes to our church. He's been a part of our church for like 15 years. His name's Vance. Vance would greet at the front. You probably shook his hand a lot coming to our church over the last few years. Vance has been fighting stage four cancer. And finally, this last week, he succumbed to it. I went to see Vance last week, and as soon as I walked in the house, I knew what I was looking at. I just, unfortunately, as a pastor, I've been around a lot of death. And so I can pretty much tell when I look at someone when it's pretty much over. I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and we both knew. I just said, Vance, I'm so sorry. He said, it's okay, Pastor. It's, I'm okay. I'm at peace. And he said, I'm, I'm really okay with dying. I mean, he said, honestly, I'm really okay. I'm not afraid. I knew he wouldn't be afraid because he, he knows where he's going. But he said, I just hate it because I, I hate what's doing to Michelle, his wife, and, and, and my kids, you know, and my family, basically. He said, I hate what's doing to my family and my friends. He goes, but I'm okay, Pastor. But the thing you need to know about Vance is that, you know, he, he's a war hero, by the way. He would never talk about that. You'd have to pull it out of him. Uh, but he was an, an army ranger in, the, in Vietnam, and he did some unbelievable things for our country. But he didn't talk about it because he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to have to remember those experiences. Don't you love veterans who just go get the job done for us? Vance didn't talk about that much but he was a decorated war hero. But he gave his time and his energy for this church, and he lived like he was dying the whole time. When he to was told he was dying, he didn't change a thing. He didn't have to change anything. There wasn't all of a sudden this mad rush to get right with God. He was already right, ready right with God. There wasn't this mad dash to start serving. He was already serving. Oh, I need to start becoming generous. He was already generous. Oh, I need to get my life together. He already has life. In other words, he was already living like he was in his last year. He was already living like he was dying. Couldn't we all take a lesson from that today? Say, God, I want to remember that I'm going to die one day too. Have you seen the stats on death? They're terrifying. 100 out of 100 people die. It's crazy. <laughs> this is something we should think about. We're going to face this. So maybe we should start living like we're going to die one day today. Loving our kids like we're going to die one day. Loving our spouses like we're going to die one day. Loving our family, loving our friends. Loving those who don't even know. Or as Jesus said, loving your enemies as if you're going to die one day. Because one day, we all will. Every one of us, one day, will be worm food. It's true. And so you might as well start living with that in mind. You know, I was talking to Vance, again, about a week ago, and he said, yeah, I'm planning out the next couple weeks. And in my mind, I immediately thought, I don't think you have a couple weeks. I'm just being honest. And I don't mean to lack faith, but when I looked at this guy, I, I, I knew it was coming. I said, Vance, tell me about that. What are you planning on doing for the next couple weeks? And he said, well, this week I'm going to do this and do that. And he began to tell me about things he's getting ready with his business so that, you know, his wife is going to be taken care of. He just kind of went over that with me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. I love that. And he said, and then the next week, and then it, 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 was, it just rolled off his tongue like it was no big deal. He goes, and then whenever I'm in heaven, I want to go see this person. I want to go. And I realized he was planning his week in heaven. He was so heavenly-minded it was so natural and smooth to roll from one world to the next in his planning. Who thinks like that? Vance. That's who. 
It's crazy. He's kind of stubborn, so he said, I don't want a big deal made because I'm passing away. But I know you're stubborn, Pastor. Well, I'm more stubborn than you. He goes, I know you are. So I want you to know, Vance, I won. I'm more stubborn than you. I just made a big deal of you in Easter. But you guys, this is supposed to be a good day, but you guys pray there's a big ruckus in Easter because Vance just kicked someone out of their greeting spot in heaven. So I'm sure there's some drama right now. So, but they'll, they'll work it out, I'm sure. So it's okay. You know what? We can live like Christ even when we are facing death. And I hope that's a long time for all of us, honestly. I hope it's a long way away. But whether it's long or short, let's live with heaven in mind, just like our friend Vance did. Let's live knowing that one day we'll stand before God and we want to be proud of what we've done so that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant to each one of us. Let's live and become like him even in death. And so if you share in his suffering and you become like him in his death, then number three, you get to share in his resurrection. That's what the Bible clearly says. It says in Romans 8, 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So you've been sharing in his suffering. You've been going through some difficulties. You're at the end of yourself. That's when God takes over. Because when you run out of your natural, he adds his super. That's when he takes over, and then you get to share in his glory. Ephesians 1.20 says, God's great power is available to help us who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you today. And I believe that God brought you here today. Whatever campus you're at, overflow room, wherever you are right now, watching online, I believe God brought you here to listen to a spiky-haired preacher with ADD today because this is what God wants you to know, that if Jesus got up again, so can you from that divorce, from that debt, from that struggle, from that pain. If Jesus got up again, so can you. The Greek Orthodox Church has this really cool tradition, and I want to steal it and make it a part of our tradition. Every Easter Sunday, they tell jokes to each other. I love that. I'm like, that's so cool. Now, I want to just point out, not dirty jokes. Let's keep it clean around here, okay, folks? But they told jokes to each other, and I thought, why would they do that? And guess why they do that? They do that because the joke's on you, devil. You thought you conquered Jesus. You thought you put him in the grave. But guess what? Today's April Fool's Day. You're the fool. He rose again. You can't keep him down. Our Savior rose again. You can't keep him down. And I believe that God has brought you here because he wants you to know that, you know what, the devil can't keep you down either. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I mean, I just went through this nasty divorce and just it's over with me with relationships. Only if you say so. Who said it's over? You know what's the great thing about humans? God's making more of them. <laughs> who said you can't find love again? I know tons of people who have found love again. Oh, this person broke my heart. I'll never have a best friend again. You know how many people there are? There's plenty of people. There's plenty of opportunities for you to have a best friend again. Oh, my career, it's over. Well, then start a new career. Oh, I'm in so much debt. You can pay that off and have money in the bank. In other words, there's another chapter not written yet. And you need to write this chapter in mind with we've already had the chapter of suffering. We've had the chapter of death where you just give up. But there's another chapter according to the scripture. It's the chapter where you rise again because nothing can keep a righteous man or woman down. You get to get up again. You're not through. God's not done with you. He's got something big for you. He's got big plans for you. You're a big deal. He sent his son to die for you. That tells me you're a big deal. Turn to the person next to you and let him know, I'm kind of a big deal. You get to sit next to me. Let him know. <laughs> it's true. 
You're a big deal. Jesus gave his life for you. You shared in the sufferings. Maybe you shared in coming to your own end where you decide, I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm giving up. You come to a point of death in your career, your relationship, your finances, your hope, your expectations, but now you get to come to a point of resurrection where Jesus says, I'm not done, and we're going to do something new in you. And so I pray right now that some faith inside you is just welling up, and that God's doing something inside you saying, see, I told you I'm not done. I told you to come to my house. I had something for you. I told you I got plans for you. I got big things. I'm not done. You need to start dreaming again, because guess what? I got a resurrection coming for you. You got to start believing it, because it's the truth. It's the Word of God. It's the truth. He rose again just for you. Now, for the doubters in the room, I know you don't like to admit you're here, but I know you are. <laughs> for the doubters in the room that your mom dragged you to church, your boyfriend or girlfriend dragged you to church, and you're like, yeah, 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 okay, okay. Nice sermon, pastor. You got us all fired up. But, you know, I think Jesus was a good teacher. I think Jesus was a, you know, a good man. But, I mean, let's not go so far as to say he rose again. Let's just, come on. I mean, I'm not one of these faith people. I'm a, I'm a facts person. I like the fact. I love people that tell me this. I'm like, oh, yeah, you facts. Mm. I love that. So let's talk about the facts. Can we do that for a moment? For those of you who are factual, who somehow believe we're not, let's just talk about the facts for a moment. For example, the fact that we have all kinds of archaeological digs all over the world, mainly in the Middle East, of course, because this is where all this stuff happened. But we've got, in, in fact, we have, uh, I believe, 3,000 fragments. Did you know this? Fragments is when they find a piece of information where someone wrote down something in their personal journal, which basically back then was on a rock somewhere, right? They wrote down a story. They wrote something down on papyri, which is their version of paper, and they wrote down what they experienced and what they saw. And then someone took that, and we now have that, and it's called antiquities. That's basically what history is, where they have that document of how that happened. We have all kinds of different documents, and this is how we get our history. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's how we have history today. Now, today we would call this the news, right? Now, you can see the problem with this, because you say, well, hold on, this is a big problem, because it seems like today's world, at least here in America, there's like two sets of news. Would you agree with me? Politically, there certainly is. You ask one half of the country, you think the country's going amazing, the other half thinks it's falling apart right? Depending upon the year and who the president is. So it's like you got two different histories, right? So in other words, whatever Fox News wrote, MSNBC says that's not true at all. And whatever CNN writes, Fox News says that's not true at all, right? You have opposing viewpoints. So they all disagree on whether Donald Trump is good for the country or bad for the country. And last election, people disagreed, depending on which news station you're following, whether people thought Barack Obama was good for the country or bad for the country. I'm not here to decide that for you. I'm just simply pointing that out. But you know what no one disagreed on between CNN, Fox News, or MSNBC, or any of them? They didn't disagree on who was president. Now, they may disagree on whether they're rightfully president, but they all know who's in the Oval Office, right? Would you agree that we, whether you like it or not, we all know who it is, right? Here's a funny thing for those of you who like facts. We don't have a shred of evidence, not one single document. I'm not talking about, oh, there's probably just a little. No, there's not one. There has never been found one authenticated document from the days of Jesus' life where someone said, oh, all that stuff about him rising again never happened. We have not a single document of that. Well, that sounds interesting. It's almost like it was just common knowledge. Lots of documents on what it meant. Oh, I think this is what it means. I think that's what it means. Oh, I think because of this, I think because lots of documents what it means, but no one really making any comments on whether it happened, just what it meant when it happened. Interesting. 
Oh, well, Pastor. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear what you're saying. But that's all the stuff in the Bible. Oh, I hadn't even brought up the Bible yet. We haven't even talked about what the Bible says about it. We're just talking about what other people outside the Bible, dinner, day, and age, said. Well, but I had a professor who said he didn't rise again. Was your professor there? Oh, they weren't? Well, these are all the people that were there, you know, that lived in Jerusalem at the time, that all openly talked about what they saw. When a man died in the, in, in the most public death you can have, they all go to Golgotha, they killed criminals. That's where they took Jesus to. It was publicly done, public executions. Then they buried him publicly, all publicly documented. And then guess what? Three days later, we see Jesus floating around and talking to people all of Galilee. Guys, it's well documented. Well, but I don't believe the Bible. You know, those are documents outside the Bible. But then the, the Bible, the documents of the Bible, first of all, you can believe this because, first of all, do you think we got the Bible like this? Like someone just said, here it is? No. Each one of these was a page from Walter Cronkite, a page from someone in NBC, MSNBC, CNN, CBS News, Drudge Report, Breitbart, Fox.com. They're all individual, personalized viewpoints of what they saw. And then finally, hundreds of years later, some guy that happened to be rich enough named King Jimmy said, I'll, I'll fund it if you guys will go get all the documents and put them all in one book so we can all read it. Facts are in. This is dropping the mic. <laughs> Jesus rose again. Oh, it's a big conspiracy, Pastor. It's all a big lie. Okay, let's go with that one real quick, too. Just real fast. It'll only be another minute here. Let's just say he made it up. Everything was made up. Okay. Twelve guys, by the way, all conspired together to lie about Watergate. Some of you guys lived through it. I didn't, but some of you did. They couldn't keep a lie together for three weeks. And no one's life was on the line. But we're supposed to expect that 12 guys that supposedly didn't see Jesus rise again, lied about it, and then they all died for their lie. You're gonna, you're gonna tell me you believe that. Would you die for a lie? Neither would I. It's simply a fact. It's such a fact, by the way, that shook and rocked the world that you set your calendar by. Your watch right now is set by this date. 2018 is what your calendar says, I bet, which means if you roll it all the way back to year one, we call that year one the year of our Lord. It was common knowledge that he rose again. I didn't ask you whether you like Jesus. You just can't deny the fact that he rose again. I don't like the Cowboys. Sorry. <laughs> but I can't deny. Wow. <laughs> A lot of haters. Okay. <laughs> Let's not divide the church, people. Let's not divide the church. Okay. <laughs> Easter was going really good until Pastor Bill mentioned one thing, and the fight broke out. So. <laughs> I'm not a Cowboy fan but I'm not gonna tell you they don't exist. I'm not gonna try to convince you there were no Super Bowls in the 90s when there were, right? Now, before you get all puffy, that was the 90s. It's been a long time. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and deny the existence of them. I didn't ask you whether you like Jesus. You don't have to like him, but you can't deny that he rose again. Too many people saw it. Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus rise again from the grave. We put people away for life because of one witness. Over 500 witnesses. It's just a fact. So now my question for you today, the doubter in the room, now that you know the facts, what are you going to do with it? Because if he really died and rose again, then what he says must be real. And he says, follow me if you want to be in eternity. No man gets to the Father but through me, Jesus said. You got to accept me. That's how you get in to heaven.
Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed, and we take a moment to pray across all of our campuses. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. Would you pray this prayer? We're going to say it out loud together. You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins, and you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins. I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true. Quickly, quickly. Let's take our communion elements out right now across all of our campuses. If you do not have the communion elements, if you'll raise your hand high so we can get an usher to you to get those to you. Just hold your hand high if you don't have them. Wow, we did a good job. A lot of you have it. Very few don't. Keep, hold your hand high. We'll get them to you. It's all right. Just hold your hand high. We're going to get you the communion elements right now. Some hands over here. Uh, the ushers, if you'll just pay attention. Thank you. They're all around us. Some in the back as well. Thank you so much. Our ushers are working hard. They're hustling for you. Thanks so much for your help. And overflow, ushers, can someone go check overflow as well? Make sure we have that covered all of our campuses. Keep your hand high. As you have your hands held high, I want to mention one thing. If you did not receive Christ a moment ago and have never prayed that prayer before, you are not to partake in this. Did you catch that? Keep holding your hand high if you want to do this. Keep, we're going to get to elements. You keep your hand high. Right, right here is a lady right here. Keep your hand high. Right here, right here. Thank you. Um, keep them high. A couple more over here. Yes, thank you. Anyone? Okay. Um, but if you did not accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you are not to partake in this. Now, before you think, wow, Pastor, that's kind of offensive. You tell me I can't take part. You invited me to be a visitor of your church today, and you tell me I can't take part in this. Don't, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I am not trying to offend you. You just offended God because you just rejected the cross when I said you want to receive Christ, and you said no, okay? So he says, okay, then you're not part of the family. Don't take part in our family meal, Okay? Now, the reason I want to let it hang a second and bother you is because you feel the difference. You feel how you just got left out a little bit? You're like, yeah, that, that wasn't really nice. Like, you tell me I can't take part. Yeah, I says, I'm, I'm not backing off of that either. You can't if you do not accept the Christ. Because the Bible actually says that you condemn yourself if you do, and you're not a believer. Did you know that? The Bible's very clear on this. And so I want you to understand there's a separation between you and me if you rejected Jesus and what he's done for you at the cross. Now, if you feel like this is awkward, like, pfft, wow, I gotta sit here and watch other people do this and I don't get to partake in the party here. I gotta kind of hold back. I gotta watch you guys partake in something that I can't tell you. You think that's awkward? Wait till the day of judgment. When you're leaning against the fence, looking in at all of us having a party of our lives and you're not allowed in. And at that point, it's too late because you rejected Jesus. Now that you have that feeling in your heart for a moment, I'd like to do what I call a second chance prayer. For the stubborn. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I'm a little stubborn. And I know I need you. I didn't like feeling on the out. I don't want to miss heaven. I don't even want to miss the party right now. Jesus, come in my heart. Forgive me of my blindness to you. I realize I do need you. I repent of my sins. I ask to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome our newest stubborn family members. Thank you so much for coming to know Christ today. Scripture says in Matthew 26, verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which I have poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you, God, that we have communed with you, that we have a seat at your table. We thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for those who just received you today, that are new in their faith, that are now members of of your family, adopted in, full rights, full heirs of all that you offer. Thank you that they are a part of the family. Thank you for those who maybe have come back to you today to say, God, I've been a little out of sync with you, but Lord, I'm back with you, God. It's good to be in your house. It's good to, good to hear you talking to me, God. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, most of all, we just thank you for sending your son, that you loved us so much you sent your son to die for our sins. And thank you that he is risen. Let's say that together. He is risen. He is risen. We thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? Can we just give God a hand right now for his goodness?